dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of this world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. Thank you. That was First Corinthians, the first part of First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Wow, what a year it has been, hasn't it? This, woo, tell me about it. Did I get an amen over there already? This year, 2020, has got to be one of the strangest years ever. I mean, it has given us so many hurricanes that we are just about to run out of English names for them and go to the Greek alphabet, or has that already happened? It's already happened. That's point made. Weird year. It's also given us global unrest following the death of George Floyd all around the world. People are incensed about racial injustice. It's given us the strangest political shenanigans that I can ever remember. I'm not as old as some of you. Maybe, maybe you have a stranger political year in your memory somewhere. Do you remember? Here's another thing about 2020. Do you remember murder hornets? You remember murder hornets? I mean, that's just weird. That's like something out of the book of Revelation or something. Or how about, did you know or do you remember that the Boy Scouts of America declared bankruptcy in the year 2020? I looked that up and found that out. It's kind of sad. Then there's the death of Mr. Peanut. You remember that? It was way back, way back a few months ago, death of Mr. Peanut. Or the, the rise of the Tiger King. Oh, come on. Don't pretend like you don't know who I'm talking about. Okay, thank you. And then, of course, the one that everybody is just still up in arms about, COVID-19, the dreaded coronavirus. Now, I am determined, however, to make lemonade out of this lemon of a year for me at least one good thing has come out of all this chaos one of the occupational hazards of what i do as a pastor is i am not allowed to cuss it's like against the rules when you go through when you go through seminary that's one of the pledges that you sign you have a whole class on what to do when you smash your finger with a hammer or something like that. So you guys, you, you smash your hammer, hand with a hammer, you stub your toe, and you just let it rip, and nobody really thinks much about it. But nobody respects a pastor with a potty mouth. It's just 
those two things don't go together. So you might hit, you might stub your toe and let it rip, but I have to handle it with dignity. Behold, I have hit it. <laughs> but, but I think that because this year has been so crazy, it is totally appropriate, and I plan to do it, it's totally appropriate to start using 2020 as a swear word. Holy 2020! I 2020 my foot into that 2020 wall. See, it works. You completely understand what I was saying right there, don't you? Yeah, and I actually think you're going to start hearing a lot more of that. I think that years from now, you're going you're gonna to be watching a TV show or movie, and you're going to hear somebody say, what the 2020? Or, dude, don't make me go 2020 on you. And you are going to know exactly what they meant because you lived through this year. I mean, am I wrong? I don't, I don't think so. Because 2020 has been a strange year. It's been weird. And so I was assigned this chapter before Pastor Lynn left, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, as I studied it, I got really excited about some of the insights that are in this chapter about what we're currently going through. About, believe it or not, about COVID. And so I came up with this, this title, How to Handle COVID, for the most part, because I thought it would get your attention. Did it work? Okay, good. Good, I'm glad it did. Before we get into that and exactly what I mean by it, I want to briefly, very briefly, review what we talked about last week, some of the history of what Paul is writing and who he's writing to. Remember that Corinth was a a seaside town. It's located right here on this narrow strip of land between uh, the, the main uh, peninsula of Greece and this enlarged Pel- uh, Peloponnesus peninsula right here. So this narrow strip of land right there is about four or five miles wide. Corinth was situated right there and sailors would go through the Gulf of Corinth and ha- pay to have their boats towed across this isthmus Heard that word before? I-S-T-H-M-U-S. That's what this narrow strip of land is is called. It's referred to as geographically an isthmus. So they would pay to have their boats towed across that. It would take a day or two. And then the sailors would go on about their way. And that would save them from a whole lot of dangerous seas. So because there were people from all over the Mediterranean constantly passing through the town of Corinth, it 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 was a very diverse place. Paul spent 18 months there around the year AD 50. So uh, about 50 years after the birth of Christ, about. Uh, Paul was there and he spent 18 months planting that church, that body of believers, that family there. And then about five years later, three to five years later, he writes back to them a couple of letters to deal with some issues. On his, that was on his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he even, he even visited them to try to deal with some of them in person. And boy, did the Corinthians, the people from Corinth, have issues. Let's take a look at some of these verses again. These are, these are from the beginning of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 1 through 5. I've, I've skipped around just a little bit for the sake of time. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul wrote, when I was with you, I had to talk to you, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants. He didn't pull any punches, did he? Because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Thanks, Paul. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, 
aren't you acting just like people of this world? I mean, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. All right, so let's quickly, I want to go back and pull out a couple of phrases from those first five verses so you get a, a sense of where Paul is going with this. First of all, very, very first very first verse, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters. Okay, so Paul wasn't writing to everybody in general. He was writing to believers at this church in the city of Corinth. Okay, so this is not a message that is necessarily intended for the world at large. It's intended for this, this body of believers right here. And brothers and sisters, or believers in general, for us as well right you got that moving on you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other that's the kind of thing that your mom and dad used to get on to you about when you were growing up right you have siblings how many of you have siblings let me see your hand you grew up with your siblings yes did you ever fight with your siblings oh sure you did of course that's what we all do right because families are strange and complicated and so Paul writes to these believers kind of like, he treats them kind of like a family. In fact, brothers and sisters kind of implies that they are like a family, doesn't it? He treats them like, he talks to them as though he would talk to kids. You're jealous of each other. You quarrel with each other. Aren't you acting just like people of the world? Ouch. Now that hurts a little bit, Paul. I mean, because, I, I, I mean, you spent a lot of time here with us, 18 months with us, and we kind of think of you as our spiritual father, our spiritual mentor, and, and now you're, you're saying that we're a bunch of babies. That's kind of harsh. Eh, yeah, in this case, the truth hurt, didn't it? So let me, let's go back and talk about what exactly I mean by handling COVID, because I'm not talking about, let me just let you off the hook so everybody can breathe I'm not talking about a coronavirus disease. That's not what we're dealing with this morning. We're going to talk about something even more dangerous. What? What could be more dangerous that is requiring us all to social distance and upend our lives? The CO in COVID stands for conflict. And I have dubbed this these three terms this morning, the COVID cycle. It begins with conflict. Now you might say, well, but not all conflict is bad. And you're right, not all conflict is bad. Or you might say, you know, there's different kinds of conflicts. And you're correct. In fact, there are healthy kinds of conflict and there are unhealthy kinds of conflict. So what we're dealing with this morning is primarily the unhealthy kind. Uh, the healthy kind I prefer to call tension. Tension, and now these are just my definitions, don't blame these on Webster, blame these on me. Tension is a feeling that naturally comes from unmet needs. How many uh, married couples do we have in the room this morning? Married couples? All right, if you've been married longer than five minutes, you know what tension is, okay? Tension is a feeling that naturally comes from unmet needs. You can't meet somebody else's needs all the time, and if you could, why, you just spoil them rotten anyway, right? So tension is a feeling that naturally comes from unmet needs. Sometimes tension is good, sometimes tension is bad. For example, there is a tension that God puts in the heart 
of every human being, an unmet need that is there for redemption and a Savior. And without that tension between who we are without God and who we are with God, none of us would ever be saved. If we never felt a need for him, none of us would ever be saved. So that's a good kind of tension. Conflict, on the other hand, again, not always bad, but conflict, I've defined my definition, not Webster's, as an action instead of a feeling. Conflict is more of an action that naturally, and that's an important word too, naturally leads to winners and losers. Sometimes that's a good thing, like when you're embroiled in a world war. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers and you want the right side to win. But because conflict is what it is, by its nature, it inevitably yields victory, that's the VI in COVID, or can you guess what the other one is? Defeat. And this is what I call the COVID cycle. Conflict, which leads to victory, which leads to defeat. I asked for a show of hands a moment ago about how many couples we have in the room. I know there are a lot of married people here. Again, if you've been married for longer than five minutes, you know, or maybe even you knew before you got married, in which case you have no one to blame but yourself, that there was going to be conflict. And in that conflict in your marriage, inevitably, at times, one of you is going to win and one of you is going to lose. How many kids? How many kids we have in the room? Huh? A few. Yeah, okay, I see. Guys, and yeah, thank you, thank you. A few kids in the room. So, um... When you and your parents have a conflict, who usually wins? Parents do, don't they? And who usually loses? The kids do, right? Okay, what about, what about work? What about work? When, you, when you're an employee and you go into your job and the boss says, I want this thing to be done, and you say, no, I'm not going to do it, there's going to be a winner and a loser in that situation, isn't there? And you're going to lose a lot more maybe than you bargained for. What about in church? Does this ever happen in church? Do we ever have conflict in church that sets us up for winners and losers? Do, don't we? Here's the problem. The real inherent problem with this. Winning the COVID cycle. Winning feels good. But winning the COVID cycle naturally means that you are married to or bringing up or working with, or going to church with, a loser. Because you won. Congratulations! You're hitched to a loser. Hmm, never thought about it that way, did you? The COVID cycle naturally, naturally yields winners and losers. And winning is not all it's cracked up to be. Because it means these people to whom you are committed and in whom you're investing your life, they're not winning. They're losing. So I want to help you this morning get a handle on the COVID cycle. And it is a cycle because it just goes around and around and around and around. And some of you in your marriages, you have been experiencing and living this cycle for years, maybe even decades 
There's a conflict, somebody wins, somebody loses. There's a conflict, somebody wins, somebody loses. And the saddest thing in the world, and I've had them come and sit in my office before, is to counsel a couple where they get into conflict and it's the same person who always wins and it's the same person who always loses. And I can, I can read it on them the moment that they come in and sit with me. It's sad because you can see just how beat down one of those people is. Same happens in families with kids. Mom and dad, there's never any wiggle room. They never budge. It's their way or the highway. And so kids can't wait to get out of a house like that where they always feel like a loser. And people hop from job to job to job to job because they never get the respect that they feel like that they deserve. They're always on the losing end of this COVID cycle and they're never ever happy. And it happens in churches too. People hop from church to church to church because they never get their way. They always feel like a loser, and I'm just going to find a place where I can be happy. And it's a pandemic, if I can borrow that term, that is systemic in our culture and in our world. And it is killing us. It is far more dangerous than a virus, in my opinion. Conflict, victory, defeat. So I want to give you three handles, three ways to get a handle on this COVID cycle and maybe, maybe stop it from destroying your marriage, your family, your employment, your church. The first handle is this. Get a handle on your pride. And I think in your outline it says check, but you can just write out the word mark it out the word check and write get a handle on it get a handle on your pride that's the first thing that you have to do if you want to stop the covid cycle look at the verses in first corinthians chapter three paul wrote i planted the seed in your hearts and apollos watered it that's not really important who apollos was he came after paul paul did the initial work apollos kept it going but it was god who made it grow it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So I, along with these three handles, I'm going to give you three what I call clarifying questions to help you get a handle, get these three handles. And the first clarifying question that goes along with getting a handle on pride is this. What can I really control? This is a question that you should ask yourself periodically whenever things seem too good or too bad. What can I really control? And that question will help you get a handle on your pride. Let's, let's go back and look at that verse that we just looked at. That was in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It was verse 7. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's important who does the plant. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Who makes the seed grow? Hey, good, you are paying attention. Yeah, it's God who makes the seed grow, not me and not you. Now, we can certainly keep it from growing. We can stomp on it. We can kick it somewhere else. We can pour weed killer on it. Well, there's a lot of things that we can do to keep the seed of God's word from taking root in our hearts. 
but ultimately we cannot make it grow. No matter how much we cultivate soil, till it, weed it, water it, no matter what we do, the growing part is up to God. So how much can I really control? The answer to that question is not as much as I think. Yeah, how much can you really control? Not as much as you think. You really stop and think about the answer to that question, it will help you get a handle on your pride. Jesus, in the most famous sermon, most biblical scholars would agree that the most famous sermon ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount, and you can find it recorded, at least highlights, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And during that message, that sermon, if you will, Jesus said this, Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Little flowers outside, little wildflowers. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory, Solomon, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know who Solomon was, Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And he goes on to say, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? What can you really control? Not as much as you think. So let's review the three handles. The first one is get a handle on your what? Yeah, I just gave it away. Get a handle on your pride. The second one is get a handle on your purpose. You really get a handle on this, it can help as well. You stop the COVID cycle. Let's go back to our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we're both God's workers, and you are God's what? What's it say you are? Yeah, you're God's field. So God is doing his work. He's planting his seed in you. Now, who's Paul talking to again? Is he talking to the world? He's not, is he? He's talking to, he's talking to family, brothers and sisters. God is planting his seed in you. This is not a salvation seed. This is just the seed of God's word that is supposed to produce fruit in our lives. Fruit like kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Oh, you know, I've heard that list somewhere before. I think we call that the fruit of the, does anybody know? That's right, fruit of the Spirit. So here's the clarifying question for this handle, get a handle on your purpose. It is, what am I really living for? What are you really living for? See, the one who plants, back to our verse in 1 Corinthians 3, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we're both God's workers and you are God's field. And Jesus agreed, if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we read that he said this, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one likes a lamp, lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That would be ridiculous. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know what this is right here? In, in biblical study, we call this a purpose clause. All of that stuff about being a city on a hill, Jesus said this is the reason for it, the purpose for all of that. 
is so that everyone will praise your heavenly father it's not to glorify yourself it's not to make you look good or smart or attractive it's so that everyone will praise your heavenly father all right so quickly let's review the handles that we've learned so far the three handles the first one is get a handle on your very good and the second one is get a handle on your purpose yep I heard somebody say it and the third and last one is get a handle on your plans get a handle on your plans back to our text in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 Paul writes you're God's building anybody here ever built a house really I'm surprised okay a few of you okay you're God's building because of God's grace to me I have laid the foundation like an expert builder now others are building on it but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials gold silver jewels wood hay or straw but on the judgment day fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done the fire will show if a person's work has any value if the work survives that builder will receive a reward but if the work is burned up the builder will suffer great loss now the builder the builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame all right so let me give you the clarifying question and then we're gonna come back to these verses and look at it the clarifying question for getting a handle on your plans is this what am I really building on what am I really building on now back to our verses in 1st Corinthians 3 you're God's building because of God's grace to me I've laid the foundation like an expert builder now others are building on it whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful careful building on the foundation careful to build on this foundation anyone who builds may use a variety of materials but on judgment day fire will show if a person's work has any value or not and if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus had more or less the same thing to say don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in break in and steal because wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be so if I were to sum all of this up these three handles and even including what we talked about last week because this is really just a continuation of last week we're still in the same book and we're still more or less continuing the same thought so if I were to sum all of this up in within the theme of unity which kind of overarches the whole book of 1st Corinthians I would put it this way in my in the bottom line handle conflict victory and defeat with a heaping helping of humility that's how you handle it with a heaping helping of humility handle conflict victory and defeat with a heaping helping of humility you see our natural reaction to conflict what is ingrained in us from the moment of birth is fight or flight you probably learned that when you were going through school that's the natural reaction but the supernatural reaction to conflict is stay and serve is your marriage not going the way you want it to be going well you have options you could leave 
And that would only be the natural thing to do. But the supernatural thing to do, the godly thing to do, is stay and serve the needs of your spouse. Kids, things not going the way you want them to be going at home with mom and dad, does it feel like their rules are just outrageous? I mean, you could get out of the house as quickly as possible, find somebody else to hit your wagon to, and probably end up in the same place. Or you could stay and figure out how to serve in your household. Things not going the way you want them to go at work? Guess what? Same holds true. Things not going the way you want them to go in your church? Stay. And? Serve. The antidote is not to pull back from ministry. The antidote is to get involved in more ministry. You don't solve anything by pulling away. You solve things by lurching head forward into those things. You're not going to solve anything by ignoring the problem. Get involved in the solution. Stay and serve. Listen. When the history of the New Testament was being made, when Jesus said the things that he did that are recorded for us, when Paul wrote the things that he did that are recorded for us in the New Testament, COVID wasn't conflict, victory, and defeat. It was conflict, violence, and death. That's what they endured. And that's the culture into which Paul writes, don't run away, stay and serve. You can change the world. They changed the world, the early believers, not because they withdrew from it. They changed the world because the world saw something different in them. They were a city on a hill. They could not be hidden. And if we go back to the words of Jesus, he said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, among my followers, Jesus says, among the believers, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, what's it say? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your, for even the Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking of himself, came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. We're wrapping this up here. But as we do, I want to give you one more little correction to everything that I've said here this morning. I gave you three clarifying questions. I asked you, what can you really control? What am I really living for? And what am I really building on? But the real question, to get to the real heart of the issue and our problems, is not a what. The real issue is a who. Who can I really control? Who am I really living for? And who am I really building on? Because the truth of the matter is, you can't control as many people as you think. And husband and wife, if you're getting crossways, sideways from each other, and mom and dad, kids, if you're getting sideways, employees, employers, church member, if you're getting sideways with other church members, I guarantee you it is in part because you are trying to control the people around you. And the answer to this question, who can I really control, the answer to that is you and you alone. That's it. There is no one else who can control you either, except for God. 
God will get what he wants out of you. And who am I really living for? Because if you're living for yourself, that's a very, very fragile foundation. And who am I really building on? If you're building a life on anything other than Jesus and what he taught, then I'm sorry, but it's, a, it's bound to crumble. If we go back to what Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I intentionally skipped this verse earlier because I wanted to save it for the end. No one can lay any foundation. It says any foundation, but obviously that's not right because, of course, people can lay a foundation. You can, lay, you can make a foundation out of anything. The issue is a stable foundation. No one can lay any stable foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. If you're building a life on anything other than Jesus Christ, it is going to crumble. And I'm not telling you this because I want to make church members out of you or because I, I want to get anything out of you. I want to help you live the life God has called you to, and you just can't do that if you keep building it on yourself. It will not work, so listen to my words and save yourself a world of hurt. You're building on something other than Jesus. You're bound for hurt. Paul writes that in the end, everything not built on Jesus is going to be burned up, and what are you going to be left with? What are you going to be left with? So I want you to consider these three clarifying questions this morning.